Welcome to Coffee and Commerce, the podcast where you'll hear me, Sarah Jones, have conversations with real-life e-commerce business owners. People who have a story to share about how they set up and how they run their online stores. Normal people. People like you and me. Let's dive in. Today I'm talking to Jan and Leo of Coco Rose. Janan founded the business back in 2007. They make beautiful, super comfy and unpretentious footwear and have recently started expanding their line of accessories. Hi, Janan. Hello. Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about more about you and Coco Rose? Yes. So I, well, I've been following your wonderful introduction there. So I'm Janan. Started the business in 2007. So it was very much a foldable footwear brand when I initially started because I was commuting into London. I love heels. We were wearing them way more often than we are today. And I was just like teetering around into work with them. And they just absolutely wrecked my feet. So I had this wonderful brainwave where I thought, how brilliant would it be women had a pair of shoes that they could fold up, stick into the handbag when they didn't want it. And then when they needed to wear something comfortable, but still look flattering as well, they could just pull it out, slip it on and off they go. Mm. I think one of the things for me was living in London, you know, I was leaving home first thing in the morning and then getting home quite late at night. And you can't be on your feet and heels all day like that. It's just not possible. Well, maybe some women it's possible, but for me, it wasn't possible. So it was very much this kind of brain wave that I had where it was like, this is amazing. And if it doesn't exist, I've got to create it. And lo and behold, it didn't exist. And so when I told my other half that I was going to do it, he thought I was a nutter. <laughs> but was very supportive. And here we are. So, I mean, as I say, you know, that was way back in 2007. So when I started, it was very much, Gareth, Gareth is just pulling out the measuring tape there. Sorry, that was okay. probably not what you needed on the record. <laughs> so when I started back in 2007, as I say, it was very much a foldable shoe brand. And then we started going to a lot of the shows overseas. So we were doing back-to-back shows like in Milan and Dusseldorf in Germany and Paris and Las Vegas, all sorts of different shows. And it was amazing because it was just like, it was so exciting and so exhilarating. And it was kind of like the next big thing. Everybody wanted it. And at that time, it was very much about, right, how can we push ourselves further? How can we continue to pioneer this category of shoes that never existed before? Yeah. So I created a range of flats all leather, but they would also fold. So I kind of took that concept of a foldable shoe and then turned it on its head. So made a shoe that was foldable. So it was much more about your everyday wear shoe that if you're traveling or something, you know, you needed something to pack up for, then you could take that as well. And from there, we started to create this incredible brand, which was all about innovation and pioneering this footwear category. And we did all sorts of things like foldable loafers and foldable trainers and foldable boots. Wow. And it got to a stage where it was like, this is great. This is fantastic. But do you think maybe we should try trainers? 
because at that time, trainers were just about starting to take off. I think this was like 2010 or something like that. And all the shows were just like filled with trainers. I mean, you would go from stand to stand, it was just trainers everywhere. And then we held off for a while because we didn't want to confuse the brand and to confuse the customer. Because I think, especially when you're a starting brand, I think it's really, really important to have like that, a real DNA, that real footprint in terms of who you are, what you do and what you're about. Mm -hmm. But then I think as we developed over a number of years, we were able to expand into that, into the trainer category. And I think it was perfect for us, right time, right place. I was actually pregnant with Ellen. So it was great for me. I was literally wearing them nonstop. And so I, as the customer, was basically, yeah, testing them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important as well in terms of like being the designer, but also being able to be really sure about, yes, that is a product. It is comfortable because at the end of the day, that's what we sell. We sell comfort, comfort and style. And it's got to come down to the fact that, yes, it's comfortable. That's why we've got this loyal customer who keeps coming back and back and back again. But she loves the brand, she loves the comfort, she loves the designs. But if one of those falls apart, well, yeah. you forget it, right? So I was wearing them and it was I was testing them. And that's when I was saying, Scareth, we've got to do this because I am literally living in them. I mean, I was pregnant out here and it was just like I was just walking constantly oh. with it. So with the shoes, not with not just the bum. <laughs> so yeah, and then that's when we said, right, okay, let's go into trainers, let's do it, let's expand our product range. And as I say, you know, right time, right product, we were at that right moment in our journey to be able to take on a new category. So we, yeah, so from that, and then of course, what's happened recently, well, Corona's hit, hasn't it? <laughs> oh gosh. And so, you know, we've had to sort of look at how we've Oppositioned everything again. We've relooked at all sorts of different strands. We've relooked at our product categories. We've introduced face masks, which was the first kind of accessory that we introduced to the range. Unbelievable in terms of the response that we've had from it. And this really kind of opened the door for us to say, actually, we've built up the business, the brand, for a number of years now. We believe we're at that point where we can now expand that product category even more to avoid any potential confusion. So rather than people saying, oh my gosh, why are you suddenly doing face masks or anything like that? It was, it became like, oh yeah, Coco Rose are doing face masks. So then it's a very different take on what a brand can deliver. And so from the face masks, actually, we then started doing these out and about kits, which we create these a beautiful sort of gift set where it's like a hand sanitizing spray and a hand lotion with a face mask of choice, all in a lovely little pouch. And then from that, we've then developed into saying, okay, from an accessory point of view, what's our next step then? So I've recently been working on a range of beautiful illustrations that we're going to print onto canvas bags. So it's just kind of expanding. And I think coronavirus has been a really interesting time for us because I think being an online business first, that was really important for us because we didn't have a shop. We didn't have a bricks and mortar where suddenly it was the stress of having rent and rates and this and extra staff in the shop or anything like that. 
And it just kind of opened up or we felt that we should try and open up different opportunities. And I think with coronavirus, we felt, especially with the face mask, we we very much at the beginning and still now feel we shouldn't be profiteering out of face masks. So we, from the very, very early days, we started working with a charity. We chose the Honeypot Children's Charity very much because we have a young daughter, Ellen, she's two. And it was about saying, you know, these children who are between five and 12 years old, they're young carers, you know, and the mental stress that they have with coronavirus is massive. The impact on them will last a lifetime probably. And so we wanted to partner with a charity that were, that meant something to us. So we partnered with them and to date, we've been able to raise over £19,000 for them, which has been incredible. But actually, before the face mask, we actually had our rainbow trainers. So when all the um, rainbows, do you remember all the rainbows were in the windows of the houses? And Ellen and I would go for walks around our local neighbourhood, Muswell Hill, in, in North London. And it was very much like, oh, what are all these rainbows? And what's going on with them? And doing a bit more research behind it. And then we would draw our own rainbows at home. And then that was the inspiration for me to say, actually, we can do more with this. Yeah. And I put our rainbow onto one of our trainer designs. And that's how it all started. And that's kind of what kickstarted the Honeypot Children's Charity project and then came in the face mask. So that was a kind of like to follow. But yeah, yeah. so I have rambled. Sorry. No, no, no. no. I was just going to spell. I, was, I wanted to kind of go back to the beginning when... Did you do you have a background in sort of fashion and design? So when you first had that idea that yes, wow, I need to do something with these foldable shoes. Did you well, know where to start? Or I mean, what, um, what ish. I mean, my background is in new product development. Mm -hmm. So I did food science in university. So a completely different yeah. field. So I approached this very methodically, very scientifically. And having my background in new product development, which was very much in the food industry, I looked at this in terms of, yeah, well, what's the difference? I'm just creating a new product, whether it's shoes or food or whatever it may be. I did put myself through London College of Fashion in the evenings and on the weekends. And I did a number of different courses there because I just felt that to be taken seriously. Yeah. I kind of needed to know a little bit about the industry and how it kind of worked. But to be honest, I, I was so interested in it anyway, that where we used to work, I say we, because Gareth and I used to work together, three okay. Coca Rose. So we were both in the food industry and we were in this, in this food manufacturing company that was on a, um, what would you call it? Like a, um, a business estate kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And one of the companies pretty much right opposite us was a fashion company. And they made the most incredible bags and coats, all sorts of clothing and everything for high-end fashion designers. And I would literally go in there on the weekends and help them. So I knocked on their door one morning, I think it was like seven in the morning or something before I got into work. And I was like, listen, I'm really interested in learning about fashion manufacturing and I come and spend some time with you. You don't need to pay me or anything. I'm just, I'm just here to sort of observe and learn. 
they looked at me a bit weirdly like okay here's an odd one I said but no but I work over there so I'm not like some really random person right (laughs) so they welcomed me in eventually and um I learned a lot from them and in fact they then were the ones who made our little purses that our shoes would fold into Mm -hmm. so from my first production like going back now thinking about when we got the shoes made I was so determined not to tell the factories who I was working with what my shoe concept was because I thought they're so much bigger than I am and if I give this away I'll never ever be able to forgive myself for it so I used to say to them oh yeah I just need it to be that way because they'd always ask why do you want a split sole why does it need to be this way and I just said just I just need it that way They'd send it in and then when it got in, Gareth and I would then sit and literally fold every single pair. And we put them into these amazing leather purses that this company who was right opposite us in the food industry would make for us. So it was nice that I started from a knock on the door. They kind of became our supplier in that sense. But yeah, so so going back to your question in terms of did I have any experience with it? No, not really. I kind of just dove headfirst into it. But I built it up as I went along. And I think if you're passionate about something, if you really want to learn, I think you'll always find somehow to to gain that experience. And I always think there's no better experience than on the ground, is there? I mean, you're literally in the factories, you're working with the, you know, at the trade shows. I when I first went to the first trade show, I didn't really know how it worked. I kind of had an idea. But I remember like doing up all the sort of all the documentation, the pricing and everything beforehand, thinking, yeah, all right, we'll just give this a go and see if it works. And it did. I mean, there were a few things to iron out, but it worked eventually. And you kind of just learn as you go. So, so was that your, I'm just, you're going to trade shows. I was going to ask you when you first sort of launched the business, how, how did you get your name out there? So was your first strategy to just go to the trade shows and find people to retail your products? Well, I I actually launched online. So in 2008, I think it was, is when the website went live. And from day one, I had, I I remember the first order that came in and I almost couldn't believe it because it was so exciting. I I can remember my, I can still remember my first order in about 2003. (laughs) It's it's amazing, isn't it? That ping that goes off and it's like, oh, someone's actually put their faith in me and I think that's the thing that you kind of learn and like you really appreciate as the years go by it's like that it's that trust that people are parting with their hard-earned cash and they're trusting in you and that's one of the most amazing things that I think I've taken on this whole journey or from this whole journey so, yeah, so I started with the website and then... How did you get people to your website? What was your... I mean, you must have had some kind of... Obviously, if, if you had somebody come, people coming to buy, you must have not just kind of opened the website and had it sitting there. No. What, so, what so at the very, very, very beginning, I sent out a little survey to friends and asked friends to pass it on to at least another two friends. So I had already built up a little database, I guess, of client customers who were potentially interested in this concept. So, and I kept them updated 
there was no social media back then, right? Though we have to remember there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there wasn't a place where I could share my journey of all of this. Yeah. It was literally through email and word of mouth in terms of like, this is what I'm doing. And I would keep everyone updated in terms of, oh, you know, whatever, we've got five styles coming in, they're landing on whatever data is. And it was quite exciting in that sense. And so those first orders came from that group. But at the same time, the guys that I was working with who did my website, they were PPC people. So very quickly, they were saying like, oh, you know, you should put some budget behind and try and get and see whether or not, you know, you can get some clicks and we can try different things. The funny thing was, when I think back, foldable shoes was so, from a cost per click point of view, <laughs> was nothing. Gareth <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh about this. He was looking for. I know. We're like, oh, why didn't we just put thousands into it? But yes, how things have changed, right? But anyway, yeah. it was really interesting. And then gradually, gradually, that's how we did. But also the other thing that was absolutely clear to me from day zero was press. So again, pre-social media days, pre-social advertising days, how are you going to get your brand out there? And for me, it was all about working with the press. So I very quickly got a PR agent on board who actually we still work with to this day. And we're basically like, right, let's target the glossy magazines, the publications. And I remember that very first article that we had, it was on Marie Claire. Do they even exist anymore today? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> One of the glossy magazines, Marie Claire had it. And it was like that day was just suddenly like, wow, that's Coco Rose in one of the top glossy magazines. That was so exciting. But the point is that that was, you know, you asked about strategy in terms of how did, you, how did I get the brand out there? And it was very much about that. And yes, it was expensive. Yes, there was a lot of money that had to be spent on this. And did I have that income coming in? No, I was still working full time. So I was basically subsidizing all of this through my pay. I mean, it was crazy. But there was a passion, there was a drive, there was a belief and that determination that this was going to happen. This one day I would be able to have this as my full-time job. Yeah. And for me, yeah, that is, kind of, yeah. yeah. And for Everybody, me, it was I just like, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So, got, the fact that you have that passion just kind of makes up. For yeah. You don't always have enough hours in the day and keeps you going. And that, that's, that really does. It's oh gosh. With it was else. adrenaline. I would wake yeah. up at like, I don't know what time in the morning just to try and get stuff done before going off to work. I was working at Virgin Trains, actually, is how I met Catherine, who introduced me to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I was working at Virgin Trains. And actually, what was really interesting about that was the, the man himself, I mean, Richard Branson, was very, very supportive in terms of me doing this. I guess from an entrepreneurial perspective, he encouraged it. Mm -hmm. And... I remember his fantastic, wonderful, lovely wife, Joan. She bought the shoes as gifts for her team one Christmas. And it was just so nice. They didn't have to do that. They really didn't, but they did. And then the other thing was they, Virgin Group had a magazine, like a, a whole sort of internal magazine, but it went to all the different Virgin Groups. 
And they basically got me to be featured in that magazine and to talk about Coco Rose and how I was doing this in my spare time while still having my job as new product development manager at Virgin Trains. Again, they didn't have to do that, but it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, actually I'm working for an entrepreneur here. You well, know, he understands. Yeah. Who understands. Yeah. And I stuck at it for three, must, it was three and a bit years that I did that, that I was working all hours, burning the candle at both ends, I guess. But I believed in it and I felt that it was the right thing to do. And I couldn't leave yet because the business hadn't built up to a stage where it was self-sufficient in any way. I was still having to pay for PR. I was still having to pay for a lot of things. But then Virgin Trains went through the whole government, what they call it, re-franchising thing. And then there was a chance for me to take redundancy. And I remember thinking, it's now or never. It's, I've got to do this now. And that day, I so clearly remember it. I got on the bus to go back home. It was about midday and I rung Gareth and he goes, where are you? I was like, I'm on the bus coming home. He goes, you didn't, you didn't thinking that I had actually given in my resignation. And I was like, well, I had a choice. I could either take redundancy or stay on. So I took redundancy. So I did have a little bit of money to be able to, you know, see me through in terms of, and in fact, it was money enough to see me through to the summer. And that's when I thought, do you know what? The weather is good. I'm going to really try and make a go of this. If it doesn't happen by summer, forget it. I can go and find something else. Yeah. But I've got to give it a go. And yeah, and here we are. We haven't, <laughs> haven't had to go and get another job yet. <laughs> <laughs> and you will not need to go and get another job either. No. <laughs> On the website, I've seen the products. I've looked at them. They are they are beautiful and thank you yeah that whole the whole concept of the fold and when you think about it now it kind of makes so much sense you think well duh well of course you'd need that. I know but like like you say at the time it was so innovative because somebody just hadn't put that those the two and two together and say well I'll just have a pair of folding shoes that you can slip with your handbag because I mean I, I think what people really loved feet. about it yeah I think, yeah I think the thing I think the whole concept that people just loved was the fact that it wasn't just a pair it's I should say it's not just a pair of shoes it's a pair of beautiful shoes that are comfortable but they fold and then they go into the little pouch mm. and then in the pouch in the back of the pouch there's another bag so if you're wearing heels, then you can put your heels into the bag and then carry those. Oh, Everything was so thought out because I was the customer and because I needed something like this, I was constantly thinking, how can I make it better for me? If I was to just have a pair of shoes that would fold, it'll almost be like, but then what, what do I do with this then? You don't want to put digital you know, shoes in your handbag. It, exactly. And it's, like, it's kind of like, un, yeah, you know, unfinished. unfinished. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was, it's so important. And I think often when it's your own, when an entrepreneur comes and does an idea out based on their own need, I think this is where you get a very beautiful finished concept because you need it. You're the customer. You know exactly what it is that you're looking for. What it needs to be when you finish producing. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, yeah. Talking about, I mean, obviously you've had the entrepreneurial journey. What, do you find is the hardest thing for you 
running the business and is that the same now as it always has been or is that something that kind of changes as, as the company? You know I think priorities change so I had Ellen two and a bit years ago and honestly time is so precious now yeah she's in nursery three days a week so I've got her two days honestly it's like yeah, there's just not enough time. You know, I remember pre-Ellen days, Gareth and I would be in the office till, I don't know, 10 at night sometimes, you know, not thinking twice about it. Whereas now it's not possible. So priorities do change. And I think, especially when I think it's very hard, and I don't mean this as in like only for women, but obviously I talk from a woman's perspective in terms yeah. of when you have a baby, Suddenly it's like, oh, wait, hang on a second. I know that Coco Rose, I know that you're my baby as well. But actually, I might have to just close the laptop on you. And I know that you're not going to wake up in two hours demanding any milk or anything like that, you know? Yeah. Whereas you can't do that with a real baby. I think very quickly it was very much that priorities have really changed. And for me, I think that has been a huge challenge for me in terms of trying to retain what I do in the business, letting go of certain things that I just can't do anymore, and then trying to re-juggle things. But you know what? I think she's made me a better person in the sense that I can prioritize better. And also, I think with our customers, it's so relatable. I understand now what our customers go through. Our newsletters, I do all of our newsletters, so I write all of them. I took it back in-house from the beginning of last year, so very much from a corona point of view, and, and I've started doing that. And we've connected so much more with our customers in this past year and a bit. And I think it's very much down to having that personal, real touch, that human being. It's not about selling shoes or face masks all the time. There's a real person behind here. And I think this is what people really love. And having Ellen, we were doing things like going, going to the zoo or going to the gardens or whatever it is. And suddenly I could take those experiences and share them. And I think that's what has really opened quite a lot of different opportunities for us as well. So yeah, so I think very, very challenging from a timing perspective, but really positive from a relatable perspective and being able to connect more with customers. I love, I really love that you've said that because I think it is just too easy to almost hide behind a logo and just want the company and the name and the brand as in the image brand to talk for you. But as you say, it's so important to actually have that personal connection with your customers and that it does make a difference. And then that, and it's a two-way thing as well, isn't it? It's, so you yeah. get that feedback from your customers and they get to feel that they really are kind of part of something bigger that's not just, as you say, not just buying a pair of shoes. So I love, yeah. I love the fact that you've sort of said that. You know, I think it's become so much more important in the, let's call it the COVID era as well. Mm. When it first hit, I think Gareth and I were very early in terms of getting out there. And we just said, you know what? Call us if you want to chat. And we opened up the telephone lines. We opened up email. And we basically were just like, 
it doesn't matter if you don't want to buy anything, just ring. Mm. And the response that we had was really heartfelt in terms of, I think customers really appreciated that in terms of these are real people behind this brand. It's not about having investors who are just banging on the door saying, oh, why haven't you hit this number or anything like that? No, this is our business. This is, we can do what the hell we want with it. And actually what we felt was really important, especially in those early days of uncertainty, was being able to lend an ear for Mm. people if they were worried or they just needed to chat or whatever it was that they knew that they could pick up the telephone. And it's funny because I had this great picture of Ellen who was holding a telephone to her and I put that onto the newsletters and, and for quite some time. And it was just like, just call us anytime we're here to chat. And yeah, the response was really lovely. And I think this is what has helped us through this particularly challenging year as well in terms of having that human connection. As you say, it's so easy to hide behind a logo. And especially for us, you know, this logo has been going for 14 years. It's been like this global sort of like logo in these amazing department stores in all sorts of different countries all over the world. But actually, it's just us. It's just little old us, you know, and it's like, there's nothing pretentious here. Just you telephone and you get through to one of us. Yeah, and I think the, the number of people who call up and say, you're having a chat and they're saying, oh, what's your name? Because I need to make sure that I get through to the right department later if I call back. And it's like, no, no, there's only us. So don't worry about that. <laughs> it's just us. It's just, it's just little old us. <laughs> so, you. Where, do, where does little old you see Coco Rose being in sort of five years, 10 years time. What was that dream vision for you? I don't know is the real honest answer right now. I mean, everything has been turned on its head, hasn't it, in the last year? That's a very hard question. And I honestly, I don't know the answer to that. What I would quite like to say is that I would like to see us having a bigger connection with our customers. And I'd like, I mean, Everything is measured in Evelyn's age by now. So she'll be, what, seven? So going to school, you know, and it's kind of like thinking, okay, how can all of that relate in? How can it all sort of fit the jigsaw around her? So, yeah, I'd still like to be here. That's for certain. (laughs) I have no doubt you will. That'll be a start. (laughs) Honestly, this past year, anything's possible. Yeah, I suppose that's a very good point, actually, because you can't, as we've seen, when you see some massive retailers just going, uh-uh, that's it, I'm done. Finish. And you're like, yeah. really? You, and I know. So, yeah, you can't take anything for granted at the moment. No. Because it's just... So and, and I think that's one of the learnings out of this COVID era again. It's like, just don't take anything for granted. Put your head down, work hard, be kind, be together, be share that love. In fact, those are the three words that we have been spouting over the past year as well. And and actually they mean a lot to us in terms of kindness, love and togetherness. And the bags that I mentioned to you, where we have the beautiful illustrations on the front and on the back, we have those little three words, just little, just as a tiny little reminder to the wearer. So it's just a little message as a reminder message for us all. But yeah, so those three words are really key, aren't they? In terms of what 
we've come out of what we will come out of this situation with. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I don't know is the honest answer in terms of whether we will get back into the wholesale game as what we did. That landscape has changed massively. I don't know in five years whether that would recover at all. I would like to, but I just don't know. But so what we would, what we will be focusing on is continuing on our e-commerce journey and trying to sort of grow that, I guess, but grow in a sustainable way, not in some sort of massive investor kind of capital funding. We've been down that route before. In fact, the funny story that I mentioned to you when I was pregnant with Ellen we went and saw these really fancy accounts in central London and I was feeling really, really ropey that day. Anyway, we sat in this beautiful board meeting on whatever floor it was. Amazing. I was just green all over, but I managed to hold it all together <laughs> until we got back downstairs to the revolving door and then that was it. It was just projectile everywhere. <laughs> So yeah, that was interesting. We didn't get that funding, no. <laughs> Funny that. Oh, well, on that happy note. <laughs> oh, my see The journeys that we've been on. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pleasure listening to the stories and to listening to your story. And yeah, I really love how you have emphasised the fact that even what we perceive to be a big brand there is still somebody behind that brand and it's lovely to know that you can connect at that personal level with your customers. And I think that's so important, especially, especially at the moment, just to end up the podcast. I just want to wish you so much success with the brand and with your continued growth. And I hope you just kind of continue to get a lot of fulfillment from working and thank you. That's so nice. That's so kind. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, I've loved it. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other people to discover the content. Don't forget to subscribe so that you get notified when we publish a new episode.